0: Hey, welcome back to the Articulation Guide Review. Um, We are going to move on to culture. Um, And culture was that unit that was kind of all over the place. Um, It wasn't very specific. Um, The terminology and the idea is simple, but it had you jumping around. um, And the wording in the Articulation Guide isn't as concrete as other indicators. Um, So we're going to go through 3.1. Uh, all the way to 3.3 and then we'll stop there Um, but we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit and trying to provide you examples as we do this so really 3.1 to 3.3 is about the introduction to culture Um, and the big 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 vocab term here is going to be cultural landscape the built environment remember that for any question about culture so we have to define the characteristics attitudes and traits that influence geographers when they study culture and we see that in the cultural landscape and we're going to talk about like a visible force and invisible forces but we see what we are doing who we are in our landscape so let's just discuss what culture is Okay, so culture is the central to a society and its continued existence. We try to study it to understand the similarities and differences among societies across the world, right? So we look at the where and the why. And if you look at 3.8.1, culture comprises the shared practices, technologies, attitudes, and behaviors transmitted by a society. That's the definition of culture. Um, Another definition of culture, all of a group's learned behaviors, actions, beliefs, and objects are part of the culture. It's part of the visible forces um, in the the landscape, your actions, your possessions. Um, For example, if you're in a more developed country, um, if you are in the United States and you are in the city of Chicago, you will see people working in offices, uh, big skyscrapers, Um, In the suburbs, you may see stores and malls. Uh, You may see these luxurious suburban homes on the outskirts of the city. You might observe them attending movies and concerts and sporting events. And because those buildings are in our landscape, that says something about our culture, what we do on the weekend, what we do with our disposable income, what we like to occupy our time with. Um, but the most important part of our culture, in my opinion, is the invisible forces guiding us. Um, this would be like your beliefs, your customs, your traditions, really who you are. Um, and when you look at somebody on certain things, you might be able to have an idea of who they are, but when you start asking the questions, when you start asking, you know, what's your background, what's your history like with your family, um, that's the invisible forces, um. And then if we go to 3.8.2, cultural traits include things such as food preferences, architecture, and land use. When we add all of these elements together, the visible and the invisible, they make up the cultural traits. These are the building blocks of a culture. So if I was to draw me on a sheet of paper and I started to list every little thing every little element of who I am, whether it's visible or invisible forces, all of those little things are my cultural traits. So the type of food I eat, how I like to go running, um, how I'm a teacher, how I'm female, um, my background, my race, my ethnicity, my age, those are all of my cultural traits. And it's a single cultural artifact. It's a single thing about me. But then, when I look at that drawing of me and I look at all of the cultural traits, it starts to create a big picture of who I am. And when you put all of these traits together, they make up my cultural complex, who I really am, right? And I like to joke around in class that we are complex individuals. So when you add all of those traits together, It's really who you are. And the college board says you need to look at things like food preferences. And a good example of that is if you're Jewish with kosher food. Um, We could tie this to the agriculture unit with being a vegan, uh, being a vegetarian. Um, Some of the new kind of trends in our food with, you know, soy milk, gluten-free, what you like to, you know, Lent, giving up meat during Lent. Uh, That's an example of a food preference. Architecture, we talked a lot about um, in the Northeast, because of snow, you have pitched roofs so that the snow doesn't accumulate on the top um, and doesn't damage your roof. Um, So we talked about architecture with the building materials as well. If you are out West, uh, the use of stucco because of the heat. We talked about in South Carolina, a lot of people want brick homes because of the heat in the summertime. And then land use, Um, okay, this is the one that I keep saying is a predicted FRQ where you talked about like the French long lot, um, the meets and bounds, the township and range could be dispersed, clustered, linear, we see those patterns. Um, So it could be that, we could be talking about how we surveyed our land, how we actually broke our land up, or it could be what are we putting on our land, you know, um, We talked a lot about the cultural landscape versus a uniform landscape. Um, The idea that we're seeing McDonald's all over the place, Targets, Walmarts in the United States. We're seeing how we use the land. We're seeing what we're building. Uh, In the agriculture, we talked about people, you know, or businesses wanting to buy a whole bunch of land for commercial uses, uh, not so much for farming or agricultural practices. We could talk about toponyms, place names. Um, why are we naming certain things? You know, why are we doing it? Why are we calling it this name? Why are we calling it that name? All of that is giving us clues about our, about our culture. And then we go into cultural relativism, ethnocentrism, and the attitudes towards different cultures. Um, and I think this kind of goes back, and I know we'll get into it, Uh, with the spread of culture, but remember you have where a culture originates from, which is your cultural hearth, Um, and then you have folk culture, which is traditional culture, and I'll talk more about that with uh, 3.4, about the diffusion. Um, It's isolated, uh, slow to change. Um, If it's going to spread, it's usually through relocation, diffusion. Um, And then we get into universal culture, uh, or globalized cultures that that 's kind of like the new buzzword right now in APgo, but remember that sense of place, remember that cultural landscape, the visible reflection of the culture on the v- built environment, um, and then what 's going to happen is culture is going to spread. We talk a lot about cult- you know globalization, we talked a lot about the space time compression. Um, and that space-time compression because of improvements in technology, transportation communication, culture goes all around the world very, very, very quickly. Um, you know, if there's something going on, you can upload it onto YouTube and people see it instantaneously. So globalization has really intensified interaction among people's, governments, companies of different countries around the globe. And as a result of that, um, we need to look at cultural relativism, ethnocentrism. We could go into assimilate, acculturate, syncreticism, um, and that will be it for 3.1. So again, popular culture is that globalized culture. All right? It's the one that um, begin in urban areas, that hierarchical diffusion. It diffuses quickly through media, the internet. It will be adopted globally. It's the opposite of full culture. So as a result of that, right, we get certain terms to finish up this part. Um, Acculturation. When an ethnic or an immigrant group moves to a new area and adopts the values and practices of a larger group that has received them while still maintaining major elements of their own, it's called acculturation. So think of me. I have my culture being northern. I moved down south. I've adopted some of the, the the cultural traits of being in the south, but I still have some of my northern traits. And you guys make fun of me all the time for it for saying bagel. Um, I still say it. I still say pop. I still say you guys. So I'm holding on to some of of, of me uh, being a northern a, a northern resident for majority of my life. Whereas assimilate happens when an ethnic group can no longer be distinguished from the receiving group. And remember, I kind of said, imagine if I was to come in and be fully Southern, I would make a you-know-what out of myself. Um, This often occurs as an ethnic group becomes more affluent and they leave their ethnic areas. Um, But it rarely happens, though, to be completely assimilated Rarely, rarely happens. It's usually like generational. So, if you have grandkids of an immigrant from India, they may no longer speak Hindi or another Indian language or a traditional, or maybe eat traditional Indian cuisine. Um, And over time, right, your grandparents may do all that stuff, speak, uh, eat traditional food but then their kids, and then their kids, and then their kids, and then eventually um, that family has become fully assimilated. Okay, here's where we get into the key words. Multiculturalism. Remember, this is the one that I said the College Board really likes. Um, And when you have multiculturalism, it's the coexistence of several cultures in one society with the ideal of all cultures being valued and worthy of study. Um, it's this idea that there is an interaction of culture, and because there's this interaction, and because you have been exposed to different culture, it enriches the lives of everyone. But we know in the next unit, in the political unit, that a coexistence of culture can also bring conflict. Uh, when you have different values, beliefs, and customs, they can, cr- they can clash. Um, and sometimes minority groups may feel prejudice or discrimination, Um, So know that the idea is to have multiculturalism, but we know in the real world that sometimes that leads to conflict. Then we get into nativism or nativist uh, where, and this kind of goes with the population unit, that as immigrants are moving, you may have an anti-immigrant or attitudes about, you know, I'm the cultural majority and you should actually, because you're moving here, um, you should adapt um, our, our culture, our values, our traditions. Um, so if you want to move to the United States, that's fine, but you're moving to the United States, you should adapt the cultural group that you are moving to. And think of native, right? Uh, you see a lot of the bumper stickers in South Carolina where it says, I'm a native of South Carolina. I was born and raised in South Carolina. So it's this idea that if you move to the South, You adapt all, and you adapt to all of the traditions, values, and customs, the culture of the South, because you decided to move here. So ethnocentrism, this is the one that is specifically on the College Board site, it's this belief in superiority of one's own cultural group or ethnic group. You believe that your cultural group is the best. Whereas when we talk about cultural relativism, it's the principle that an individual human's beliefs and activities should be understood by others in terms of that individual's own culture it's kind of the opposite so i it's almost like you're taking an like a studying approach of a, a different culture so let's let's use me as an example instead of making fun of me when i say pop or baggle, you actually try to understand it from my cultural group and where I grew up and my values and the beliefs, that you start to appreciate it, um, that you understand that in the North, in my area where I grew up, that's what everybody did. So you start to look at it in terms of my culture, my background, Um, kind of leads more to an appreciation of it. And then remember the college board added the term syncreticism and we saw that on a couple of you know practice multiple choice questions and remember the key word with syncreticism is the blending right the moment you see blending of a cultural trait you know that that's syncreticism Uh, it's the blending of traits from two different cultures to form a new trait and that's going to be important with uh the language when we move further into the articulation guide with with language. All right, let's flip it to 3.2. There it is, the cultural landscape. We knew it was coming. We know that the College Board absolutely loves uh, the cultural landscape. Describe the characteristics of the cultural landscape, 3.B.1. Cultural landscapes are combinations of the physical features, agricultural, industrial practices, religious and linguistic characteristics, sequent occupants, and other expressions of cultural, including traditional and postmodern architecture and land use patterns. All right, so we know we have seen cultural landscape on every unit of study. We know it goes with the physical features. We know it goes in the agricultural unit. Uh, How are you growing food? Uh, How are you using the environment? Uh, Industrial practices, we could talk about the nicks, the bricks, um, we could talk about the specialized economic zones. We could talk about the maquiadoras, um, about the environment, religious, linguistic characteristics, sequin occupants. That's the one that I want to spend a second on. Um, what ends up happening is if we take a look at the landscape and you have one society or one group or one cultural group comes in, they're going to leave their imprint on it and then what ends up happening is another group comes in and they leave their imprint on it and then another group comes in and they leave their imprint on it so let's think of it um, as buying a house right so or even my classroom so you move into a brand new house there are some things that the previous owner uh did that your family may keep at that house They like the color of the bedroom. They like the molding in the dining room. Your parents make changes to the house and then it's time for you to sell your house. The new owners come in. The new owners come in and they like the color again that was in that bedroom. They like the the woodwork that was done in the dining room. They like what your parents did and then they add to it again. Um, I use the example in my classroom that the teacher before me, I left some of his stuff in the classroom to talk to you about sequin occupants, and if I was to ever leave Chapin, there would be certain things that I would leave to show my mark in the landscape. Um, traditional and postmodern architecture. How has uh, the College Board was really big into like the formal dining room versus open concept dining room, uh, the the different ways of you know the four bedroom house, two and a half bedroom, or four bedroom house, two and a half bathroom house. Um, and then there's that word again, land use patterns. So again, uh, circular or clustered, dispersed, linear, French long lot, meets and bounds, township and range. Um, remember, it's your human imprint on the environment. Um, it's everything, um, that we are doing to the environment to give us clues about our culture. Uh, For example, national parks. Uh, The United States has set aside um, development, um, or set aside land, you can't develop on it. It's to appreciate and preserve the unique environments. And if the exam was all units, this is kind of ecotourism. Uh, Signage, we talked about in Quebec where you have English and French. Uh, Schools. You could see the separation of a uh, boys uh, boys are in one class, girls are in another class in Pakistan, uh, office buildings in Shanghai because they can't expand horizontally, they build up and you can see these changes in the in the cultural landscape when you go from place to place three c point one attitudes towards ethnicity and gender, including the role of women in the workforce, which I think we talked a lot about in the previous unit, Uh, depending on what country uh, you are living in, uh, with the HDI, the Human Development Index, um, which was created by the UN, the number of years of school you have access to, the types of jobs. Um, I think that is all about how women are viewed and how different ethnic groups are viewed. Uh, You have ethnic neighborhoods, which I'm gonna spend a a second on talking about that one. Uh, Indigenous communities and lands help share the use of space in a given society. Um, So when we talk about ethnic neighborhoods, uh, we could also talk about ethnic enclaves. um, And that is obviously evident in the cultural landscape. So it's a cluster of people of the same culture, surrounded by people of a culture that is dominant in the region. Ethnic enclaves sometimes reflect the desire of people to remain apart from the larger society. Other times, they reflect a dominant culture's desire to segregate a minority group. So sometimes this is kind of be like a voluntary, I want to live next to people who are like me, and then sometimes it's like, well, it's out of my hands. The majority group doesn't want us all kind of blending together, uh, multiculturalism, Um, because I'm not forming a new trait. And I know I probably shouldn't have said the word blending, but it's this idea that you're different from me, you stay over there. Inside these enclaves are often stores and religious institutions that are supported by the ethnic group. Um, You may have traditional language, architecture, that shows that group's place of origin. Um, and sometimes these can provide a great buffer against discrimination from the dominant culture. So in New York, where they have the Jewish neighborhoods, you would see like kosher restaurants. Um, you may see Hebrew on the signage, um, and again, you can feel like you're included, included in it. The last part is cultural patterns um, in 3.3. Explain patterns and language uh, landscapes of language, religion, ethnicity, and gender. We know that there are regional patterns of language, religion, and ethnicity contribute to a sense of place, and and they enhance placemaking and shape the global cultural landscape. All right, so here's where I think that this is going to be asked, if it's going to be asked. You are going to get images on a map, and they are going to ask you questions about what pattern do you see with language, religion? That was that one about um, the Mormon faith. Where do you see the Mormon faith? Uh, in Utah, where are Lutherans in the upper Midwest, uh, where are Catholics, where are Southern Baptist? It could be something with language, um, with uh, uh, like the pidgin and the creole language or a lingua franca. Um, but I want to talk to you for a second about sense of place. Um, a sense of place is... Important also to full culture, um, a sense of place is this idea of belonging. Um, you feel a connection to it. Um, you feel like you are you have a, an establishment, a connection to that to that place um, or that cultural group. Um, it gives the idea that they have ownership of it as well however however i 'm going to add to this, and this kind of goes into the uniform landscape. As people, goods, ideas, as globalization um, increases um, and we see things go beyond their hearth, we know that 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 sense of place, that uniqueness, that cultural landscape could possibly now be more of that uniform landscape. And that's where they're talking about that global cultural landscape. It is the opposite, Um, it's the opposite of sense of place. That we are seeing um, that you know when we talked about Chapin and you go to Chapin off the interstate, it says you know welcome to Chapin and instead of seeing you know downtown of Chapin with the with the stores and the main street, you get off the interstate um, and if Chapin furniture wasn't there it'd be a little different, but you see you know fast food restaurants, you see chain restaurants. There's no uniqueness to it until you get into the main you know the main area of downtown Chapin and then if you look at three d two language, ethnicity, and religion are factors in creating centripetal and centrifugal forces, which leads us into the political unit. Remember, centripetal forces pull together there's that p whereas centrifugal forces divide, and this would be great leading into like devolutionary forces. How culture can bring people together. If culture, if everybody is the same, it's a centripetal force. However, if people are different, it can cause division and divide. Think of language in Canada. You have two official languages, it can cause divide. It can feel like the group doesn't, um, that there's no cohesiveness to it. So we will be obviously readdressing centripetal and centrifugal forces again. Uh, The next part, I'm going to spend one day just talking about diffusion. So that will be 3.4 and 3.5 and a little bit of 3.6. All right, so intro to culture. I'll talk to you guys soon.